And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mining Stock Daily. My sincerest apologies. Uh, today's in-depth interview has been postponed uh, from, well, usually it gets out really early Friday mornings, but uh, there was a good reason for the postponement because we have a great conversation that's about to take place with the president of the Nevada Mining Association, Mr. Tyree Gray. Uh, before we get to the conversation uh, with Mr. Gray, I do want to thank some sponsors of Mining Stock Daily. That includes Rio 2 Limited, Integra Resources, Western Copper and Gold, and Corvus Gold, which actually operates in Southern Nevada in the uh, Bullfrog District. And so it's a good, timely conversation with Mr. Gray. Uh, Tyree, uh, can I call you Tyree on the on the podcast? Of course. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's an it's an incredible time to be involved in mining right now, and uh, you are relatively new to this industry. Uh, yeah. So you know, well, first and foremost, thank you for having me, and again to all of the listeners, uh, my sincerest apologies for uh, knocking you guys off schedule there. Uh, but Trevor and I wanted to have this conversation, and this was the time that worked for us, and I'm glad that we're able to have it. But um, I took over with the Nevada Mining Association in February. Uh, and uh, I mean, luckily I've been uh, representing mining industry for about the past six years, um, lobbying in Nevada for uh, Newmont Mining. And I've had wonderful mentors uh, who have been associated with the mining industry, whether that be the former president, Dana ben Bennett, um, and or Tim Crowley, uh, or Mary Beth Donnelly with Newmont, or Jim Wadhams, who is a very respected um, lobbyist and lawyer in Nevada dealing with mining issues. So I've been very fortunate to have been tutored, but uh, yes, I'm, I'm relatively <laughs> new to the job. <laughs> so uh, are you drinking by the fire hose right now, or is it, everything kind of come naturally? Uh, 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 that doesn't even begin <laughs> to explain. Uh, <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, I assumed the job in mid-February, and unfortunately, as we all know, uh, just a few weeks later, we found ourselves in the midst of COVID-19. And though the mining industry was in Nevada was granted the opportunity to continue to operate, there was a need to quickly pivot and innovate new policies, procedures, and tactics um, of how our operators are going to carry forth their business. And I was lucky enough to be at the table um, in all those conversations with our operators and also with our legislators as um, they were looking at how are we going to adapt. And I think, you mean, the mining industry did a wonderful job. And I think that speaks to their culture and health and safety and the mining um, industry's global reach. I mean, again, uh, unfortunately, the industry has had to deal with pandemics before, whether you look at uh, H1N1 or Ebola in different parts of the world. So being able to draw upon that experience in different jurisdictions to then apply it here within the United States, I think uh, was wonderful. So you were working with Newmont before this position. I mean, I, I, that was through uh, Fenimore Craig. Yeah. Okay. So um, I was a attorney at Fenimore Craig and uh, I worked in our government affairs department. And within our government affairs department, I had the opportunity to actually do lobbying work uh, before the Nevada uh, legislature for Newmont. And so you, <clears throat> you were kind of involved in that big merger indirectly. Yes. Well, I, I, I can't say I was involved, but I, I definitely had a front, I had a front row seat, if you will, uh, for the big merger and uh, the, uh, 
the the deal, if you will, um, operating agreement that exists between Newmont and Barrick, which uh, then produced uh, Nevada Gold Mines. Okay. Uh, so can you give us a rundown? And obviously COVID really put a spin on things for everybody, in a, including the association. But outside of COVID now, um, you know, what are some of the priority initiatives you as association are working on right now? Yeah, definitely. You know, so it's funny you should ask very, very timely. We're actually working on our strategic plan um, <laughs> right now. In fact, I have a meeting a little bit later on that. Um, but two areas that have really stuck out for us are really our workforce development and our public outreach. And to kind of talk about those a little bit, you mean individually, um, our workforce development, mining is an industry that in Nevada, at least, usually consistently has jobs open. Um, and we're and those jobs aren't just for what you consider kind of the normal operations of mining, but they're also for, you know, HR professionals, lawyers, accountants, and different things like that. So one of the, of my calls is really being able to find talent um, that already exists into the state and give them some exposure to the mining industry. Um, again, mining in Nevada happens mostly in rural communities, though every single county um, except for two counties in Nevada uh, actually have mining operations within them. But I mean, there is, because Nevada does have a very, very large landmass, um, unfortunately, there are folks who don't really know about mining in Nevada. And that kind of feeds into that second point, which is the public outreach uh, portion. And as you know, Nevada is one of the fastest growing states in the union. Um, and that adds a great benefit to Nevada because it you mean, brings in people with diverse experiences and skill sets um, into Nevada. However, some of these folks are surprised to find out that there's uh, mining in Nevada and how huge um, of a player Nevada is on the global mining scene. And so being able to educate these new Nevadans and frankly, uh, some of the older ones as well, um, about the importance of Nevada mining um, is really a, an opportunity that we're going to capitalize on. Um, underneath my tenure. Uh, that's a good transition into <clears throat> really the crux of this conversation that uh, you and I have decided to have uh, for the listeners. Um, you know, and I, I, I kind of went on the podcast last Friday and, and gave a couple minutes of just kind of my position uh, where we are at with the, uh, with race in America and uh, systematic racism and, how I've kind of struggled uh, me uh, with this uh, platform that I have on the best way to really uh, provide some sort of support, right? Um, and I've taken some heat and, uh, you know, maybe haven't done enough and uh, that, you know, that everybody can have that, have that judgment all they want. But, you know, one of the things I said last week is I'm going to take time to really listen and then come up with a game plan. And, th and I think this is part of it, um, Tyree. I mean, you are an African-American man, not only involved in mining in a predominant jurisdiction in the US. I mean, Nevada is obviously the largest mining state in the union. Um, so I gotta ask you, I mean, can you provide some observations and thoughts of this industry, which is predominantly white and even male when it comes to diversity? Yeah, no, you mean, so again, I applaud you for wanting to have the conversation and I applaud you for taking the stance of listening. You mean, again, I think, unfortunately, we, and I'm using the term we as Americans have the belief that we can solve other people's problems and 
sometimes it actually just requires us to listen for other people to actually identify what the problem is instead of us using our limited scope to tell somebody what their problem is. So I do applaud you for, for wanting to have the conversation. But I think you mean the mining industry wants diversity. Um, that is one of, uh, as I said, we're working on our strategic plan here in Nevada. And one of the things that continue to come up um, amongst the folks who are polled were their desires to have greater diversity within their ranks. Um, I think, unfortunately, one of the barriers to that diversity is, frankly, where mining activities happen, which, as I've stated before, primarily within the rural communities. So there's going to be a need to kind of work the business and to work with the community and the elected folks in order to set um, an environment to where diversity is encouraged, not just within the business, but also within the communities in which these businesses operate. And you can see that within Nevada's mining industry, there's been a growth in diversity, I should say gender equity over the last couple of years. Um, there was a point about 20 years ago where there are only about one to 2% uh, female participation in mining activities in Nevada. Um, that number has now grown to nearly 16%. And so what that does demonstrate is that when the mining industry puts its mind to it, um, they can accomplish and will accomplish um, growth in those areas. And I mean, frankly, that's one of the reasons um, for the community outreach being part of my um, objectives and goals for my tenure, because again, exposing people to these careers will be really, really important. Well, an organization like Women in Mining, which is, you know, global, I mean, even the smaller chapters, they do phenomenal work. And, and I've, I've attended a few of those meetings here around the Denver area, and there's a good handful of men that still show up to Women in Mining chapters as well. Yeah, no, and I think that that's the important part, is that uh, whenever you have kind of some of the legacy groups uh, um, that are built into an industry, whether that's uh, women in mining or, um, or other kind of groups throughout, it's really important to recognize that those groups can't stand on their own. Um, and so and that's something that we've seen in the legal field. I'll, I'll kind of go back to the legal field. There's the uh, NBA, the National Bar Association, which is traditionally the African-American Bar Association. Um, but the membership can't only be African-Americans, um, nor can the support base only be African-Americans. It requires folks from all different backgrounds um, and genders to really um, be, be engaged um, because that's how you force the conversation and that's how um, you create that change. Mm -hmm. uh, Tyree, the death of George Floyd once again has brought the dialogue of race and racism and injustice in America back into the public spectrum, unfortunately, once again. Um, first, on a personal level, what does this moment mean to you as a black man in America? Yeah, no, um, well, first, I would be remiss if I didn't say that my uh, thoughts and prayers are with the George, um, George Floyd's family, and um, frankly, all those families, unfortunately, who have experienced this situation, whether that be Philandro Castillo, Freddie Gray, Michael Brown, Eric Gardner, unfortunately, the list goes on. Um, and so my thoughts are definitely with them. On a personal note, I mean, as a black man in America, I think that this feels very different than others that I've seen. Um, I was, I think about 10 or 11 
um, when the Rodney King situation happened. Um, and I remember having a very, very tough conversation with my parents about um, race. Uh, and you mean how I am supposed to interact um, with, with police and that it would be very different than my counterparts and some of my friends would have to interact with police. Um, and you mean that is unfortunate that that conversation that took place in roughly 1990 um, is a conversation that I very well may have to have with my son um, in 2025, you mean, when he's uh, closer to that age. Um, and so that's really heartbreaking. Um, and, and again, one of the things is that um, I've unfortunately had um, negative interactions with police. I mean, and it, a lot of times, People believe that this information is, you mean, all people don't like police because of what they hear on the internet. Um, and you mean, again, I have law enforcement in my family. So I value um, police. My wife works for the fire department here in Las Vegas. So I have a natural respect for those civil servants. Um, but I also believe that this is a great opportunity for us to divine, define um, the role of police in our communities. And to remember that police are citizen, they're citizen observers who us, we, the people, um, give particular privileges and immunities to in order to intervene when there's the presence of probable cause of a commission of a crime. Mm. Um, and I think, I mean, when you kind of look at that statement a little bit, again, they're citizen observers. Um, they're not... Uh, police are not there to um, dispense um, punishment um, or justice. That's really the role of the courts and the role of jurors. And uh, I mean, as a lawyer, again, I've never practiced in the criminal context, um, but it is important that we do remember that we have those Fourth and Fifth Amendment rights and Sixth Amendment and, and Eighth Amendment rights that um, do provide protections for us as citizens. Um, and you I mean, again, this feels very different than in the past. And I'm glad that people are having the conversation. Um, and you I mean, again, I do believe that the protests will eventually move from, uh, you I mean the streets, um, into boardrooms across America, business boardrooms and into, uh, legislative galleries and elected official offices. And there has to be a plan um, that uh, is worked up and, and discussed about how we can modify laws, but also, you mean, how can we change hearts? Um, this isn't just about the law. This is also about hearts. Because again, um, if you watch that video and your conscience was not shocked, your emotions were not um present, you mean, and you didn't want to yell at the screen and, and tell the officer to get his knee off of this, of this human's neck, then you mean, <laughs> there's, there's a larger issue present there for you. Mm. Uh, Tyree, I think one of the, one of the things that I've just really gone back into my head so often the last couple of weeks is if we, if we talk about racism and mining and mineral exploration, I think one of my challenges is that I, I, I try to think back as hard as I can. And in the short time I've been involved in this industry, 
And I, there's not one, I don't think there's one time that really stands out. There's not one time where I can say, you know, I witnessed racism in mining and mineral exploration. I mean, not one, but at the same time, I've, you know, maybe that's my own naivete. Maybe it's me being a white guy in this industry and, and being oblivious to, to some of those things. And so I think that's one of the hardest things that I've really thought about the last two weeks is, is like, man, I just like, we need to do something, but I don't know if we have a, if we have a systematic problem in this industry, but you can't ask me. And so yeah. I've got to ask you, I mean, have you witnessed racism in this industry in mining and mineral exploration? Um, yeah. So what I'll first, in order to guide the conversation, what I'll say is that, I mean, we heard Webster dictionary today or well, yesterday say that they were going to change the definition of racism within the dictionary in order to encompass kind of structural racism and systems. Um, what I will do is I will share personal experience, not of racism within the mining industry, but just giving from a structural perspective and how racism kind of touches my life um, and or the life of those who I know kind of on a daily basis. I'm a lawyer by training um, and I'm an executive and I'm a business person and I do my best to avoid interactions with police. It's not because I fear police, not because I think that the police are out for me, not that I think that um, all police are bad, <laughs> but because I would rather eliminate the opportunity to have a negative interaction. If I have the opportunity to make a left and pass um, a group of police officers who may be at a speed trap or whatever, even though I'm not doing anything wrong, um, I'll choose to make a right turn. Uh, and that is kind of the, the issue for, for Black people in America. It's not that we necessarily experience overt racism on a daily basis, but it's that unfortunately we have been programmed to avoid particular situations by which the opportunity to experience those, um, experience that um, we just avoided. And you mean, I mean, I have different conversations with my wife um, when I leave the house than you may have with your wife. I um, mean, yes, she's worried about the normal, I mean, drive safe, don't get in a car accident, but she's also worried about um, the interactions that I could have with um, either, I mean, a police officer or with just a regular citizen who doesn't like me and or may be suspicious of me just because of race. Um, and so, I mean, there's a huge opportunity to have these conversations. And, and again, you mean, when you talk about, um, you mean, whether or not there are incidents of race in the mining community, I would never say that there are or aren't because I have not directly experienced them, nor have I heard um, from people who have experienced them. But then again, I'm relatively new on the job. And, mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to discredit anybody who has had those experiences that I just haven't heard about um, yet. But also, you I mean, again, as you and I have talked about uh, before, when there are very limited folks um, of diverse backgrounds within the um, industry, you may not see it just because you may not work with that, you mean, 
those few folks who are there. Um, and unfortunately, we've become a society that almost has to see things to believe things um, instead of being able to just trust people's accounts. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I, I'm, whole, I'm, I'm with you just because I haven't seen it or witnessed it and re recollect it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? Especially in this industry. But um, I mean, I, th I owe it to myself and my family and my colleagues to call it out if I do see it, right? So... Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, I mean, that is where the egregiousness that I think people are, are voicing with George Floyd's situation. Um, again, I have zero issue with use of force when use of force is substantiated. Um, where we have, where I personally have an issue with the use of force is where the use is not substantiated or where the requirement for it dissipates. And you mean, uh, frankly, I've had a lot of conversations uh, with uh, with folks who are either elected or happen to be in city management, um, our, our county management, um, both here in Nevada and um, externally about, you mean, these ideas. And, you know, and I gave one idea to a, a good friend of mine. I said, hey, look, you mean, one small change that could happen is when an officer is involved with in a confrontation or, you know, you mean a scuffle or anything like that with an individual, the second that backup holds or a backup arrives, that officer should be rotated off of dealing with that person um, because that officer's um, emotions are already high. They've already been in, a, in, in that interaction. And I believe that allowing cooler heads that have just, you mean, kind of come on scene to prevail might be just one little small fix. Um, Again, you mean, and again, will that fix everything? No, but that's, you mean, something that one quick fix that, you mean, we could put into our training regimen that I think could have, um, could have impacts. Um, I, so I got to ask you about the response from this industry in the last couple of weeks. Um, from what I've seen, there hasn't been much. I mean, I've seen a few articles or maybe people online uh, speaking out uh, in support uh, for structural change. Um, but in your opinion, has the mine, mining and exploration industry done enough in the last couple of weeks to take a position? Is it our place to take a position? Well, I mean, I will never say that somebody has done enough or has not done enough. Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the the book 212 Degrees, right? So, you I mean, that one shift in degree uh, moves water from sitting there to, <laughs> to boiling. Um, so, you I mean... If, if people are willing to just move one degree, I think that that is, you mean, a, a testament. And I think that that's what we've seen. But, you mean, to talk about businesses broadly, and you mean mining, again, fits into that broad definition of business, I do believe that businesses have um, a duty to use every tool at their disposal to eliminate the barriers that may exist to full participation. And, you mean, that requires businesses to go beyond what you mean the legal requirements may be. Um, there are huge opportunity gaps that exist. And those opportunity gaps are not just, you mean, unique to, um, to African Americans or Latin Americans, um, but they exist in, you mean, communities, unfortunately, that um, are impoverished or, you mean, at a low, lower socioeconomic rung. 
So, I mean, we have an opportunity to really, if we really want diversity, to really go into those communities, target those communities, whether that be with um, training, um, internships. Uh, I mean, how are we investing our dollars? Um, are we just kind of, um, how are we investing our, our philanthropy dollars? Are we just kind of giving away money to, to, um, to charities? Or are we actually giving our time and our talent to these charities? Because again, a lot of charities actually want people to show up. Um, uh, I always say I am partly where I am today because I had a mother who did research um, and sent me to a school that was 40 minutes outside of the community in which I was born and raised um, that had a more rigorous uh, education program. Uh, and you mean, I was one of two black people in my class and one of, um, I think about 20 within the school. Um, but that set me on a different trajectory, unfortunately, than some of my neighbors. Mm -hmm. uh, and I also had the opportunity to participate in junior achievement. Um, and Daniel Eaton was the first African-American lawyer I'd ever met um, when I was in seventh grade. And uh, he actually wrote my uh, recommendation for me to get into law school. Um, we've stayed in contact. Uh, but he had a huge influence on my life because I saw that, whoa, I mean, uh, that was the first time I had ever seen a black lawyer, to be frank. Um, so, you I mean, again, having the ability to actually show students what they can be, show people what they can be, and then also open these opportunity gates um, is important. And I think that our operators here in Nevada, um, that's what they want. Um, when we have board meetings and we're talking about our workforce development, that's what they're challenging me with. Um, I mean, I'm currently in the process of booking meetings with uh, the Urban Chamber, um, the Latin Chamber, um, Workforce Connections here in Nevada, um, all in all uh, groups that work with um, diverse populations in order to get them employment opportunities. And my board is like, hey, go out there. You mean, let's make these introductions and then what can we do to help? So, um, you mean, though maybe not nationally um, stepping out and, and speaking out about it, um, we are having those conversations and we are taking steps to make sure that the, the mining industry, particularly the mining industry in Nevada, um, is doing its part to, to create opportunities and remove and eliminate barriers. You, you really hit the, the nail on the head when you said opportunity gaps, because obviously it's prevalent all around. And it's, it's funny because I had I was having a conversation with a buddy of mine up in Vancouver and he, and and he he told me and he said you know earlier in my career somebody gave me the opportunity to do something I wasn't necessarily you know <laughs> qualified <laughs> to do but what it did was really set me up for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And you just described how your opportunity gap was narrowed, started narrowing because the decisions your mom made and her actions, um, you know, my opportunity gap in this injury started, uh, because of a pr prior position and trying to do something new. And I had a mentor that brought me on and gave me the opportunity to do it. Um, but this, in, but this industry is like, you don't have to be a geologist. You don't have to be a mine engineer. I mean, you can be a lawyer, you can be an investor, you can, um, you know, 
be an engine like you can do all these things so there the opportunity the the opportunities to narrow that gap are just abound right yeah, yeah. um but you know like when it comes back to diversity how do we get people from the cities to be like hey you want to be a hydrologist come talk to right. me let's go into mining you know <laughs> how do we do that well, you know, frankly, it's really just uh, exposure. You I mean, again, uh, um, I, I always believe in speaking from my own perspective because I never want to be accused of trying to be a spokesperson for, for other people's experiences. But um, when I was young, I went to the uh, Science uh, Institute uh, in my community I grew up in, uh, Southeast San Diego. And uh, I always joke, you mean, it's a part of San Diego you don't see on the postcards. Um, <laughs> But there was a science institute there. My mom sent me there during summers, and that exposed me to two jobs uh, in STEM. And though I eventually went on to actually be a lawyer, you mean I'm, I'm a lawyer who's not um, uh, <laughs> who's not scared of math. Uh, you mean there's always a joke from most lawyers: I'm a lawyer because I'm bad at math. Uh, I'm actually not bad at math. I know physics and different things like that, and so I can have you mean these these cool conversations with many of my operators. Um, but with that, you I mean, it's really the exposure. And I think that that's one thing that um, you mean, Barrick did really well for a number of years. Um, Barrick relocated part of its operations to Henderson and Southern Nevada um, in order to help drive some exposure um, to the mining industry. And I think that when we look at that model, um, other of our operators are probably going to do some of the same things, opening up um, ancillary offices in Southern Nevada and things like that. It doesn't really matter where your accountant sits to get the job done, right? Uh, so do you necessarily have to sit in the rural community to do that? Um, or can we have offices in some of the more urban parts of our state um, in order to drive some of the diversity? Um, but then also, like I mentioned earlier, it's kind of creating partnerships again with the communities in which we operate and with those let those elected officials and saying, hey, you know, and businesses, how do we cultivate a community that is welcoming to all people? Um, and that will also drive the desire of folks to want to move in um, to those communities and partake in being part of what is, in my opinion, the best industry in the world, which is mining. Yeah. I definitely agree with you with that. Would just <laughs> so for some reason, uh, even the downs, I come back the next day and <laughs> after the down days and, and try to make the best of it. Uh, Tyree, I have I ha I know we're going long here, but I do have to leave you with one one more question because uh, it's brought to my attention. There's a, there's an organization called CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion. It's the largest CEO driven business commitment to advance diversity and inclusion within the workplace. Uh, for listeners out there, you can go to ceoaction.com to peruse the website. When I visited the site and did a quick search for mining companies, there were only four companies in this massive list, which appeared. A couple of them were coal companies, but Core Mining, which I know you're familiar with, yeah. was the only precious metals miner on the list. The only one. Is this something that surprises you? And how do we have more companies participate in similar initiatives like this, like CEO action? 
Yeah, you know, so you I mean CEO Action is such a wonderful um, organization, and you brought it to my attention. I had heard about it before, and and frankly, I think sometimes it's just uh, knowledge of what's out there um, that sometimes shows that will present the opportunity, if you will, for our folks to be involved. Um, Core Mining is a leader here in Nevada. Um, in fact, uh, uh, the current chairman of uh, my board of directors is uh, Rob Stepper, who's a general manager um, at Core, and I've uh, worked very closely with another gentleman by the name of Dan Peterson, uh, excuse me, Dan Pearson, um, who is in their recruiting and HR um, director for Core? I know Dan. Um, so, I know Dan. Yeah, no. cool guy, <laughs> right? Great guy. He left. <laughs> he left the industry for a little bit though, but he's came back. Yeah, no. I mean, it's funny, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, he, yeah, you, you can't cool. quit it. You can't quit mining. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we digress. Yeah, no, no, great, no. And, and so, and it's funny. You mean once you get into the industry, you start to realize how how small it is and how interconnected we all are. Um, and so, you mean, again, I give, you mean, a huge shout out to CORE for being part of that group. And you mean, now that I have this, um, this information about CEO Action, I'm going to challenge my other um, members. You mean, again, we have a uh, executive committee meetings that we have, and I'm going to put this on an agenda item and say, hey, how many of you know about this? And so, A, I'm going to bring it to their attention. And, and then B, you may have the opportunity to challenge to say, hey, you know, if you agree with these directives, Maybe this is something, a great area for us to be involved in, um, because I will agree with you that um, only four mining companies um, and only one that the both of us could identify um, that has operations in Nevada. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's a low score. Mm -hmm. And um, our industry can do better and, and really should do better, because, um, again, I think, like we've, we've discussed before, our industry desires diversity. I mean, our industry rewards hard work and hard work is not particular to a particular um, cultural background or sexual orientation or gender. Um, hard work is a universal theme that can be found in every human um, who's amongst us. So I mean, I believe that my operators here in Nevada and, and frankly, the suppliers who operate us, and again, you mean, as you know, within our membership, we cover the full supply chain from prospectors to operators to remediation specialists and everything in between. Um, and I believe that all of them are would be interested in this. And so, I mean, thank you for bringing it to my attention. And uh, I look forward to coming on this show again in the near future and talking about how that number has moved um, from four companies to double, triple, 10 times, 20 fold, uh, hopefully um, over the next uh, year, year and, uh, and plus. Uh, Tyree, this, uh, this industry, I mean, I wouldn't say it changed my life, but it definitely improved my life tremendously. Um, I would be willing to bet that you would say the same. Most definitely. Um, but I think what we, people like you and I can do now is make sure that it continues to do the same for other people no matter what color of their skin, no matter what their nationality. I've really appreciated this conversation. It's it's not always an easy conversation to have, um, but needs to be done. And you have my support. If there's anything I can do from here in Denver on this little soapbox that I have in the podcast, like you call me up and you tell me, I'll do it. Thank you, yeah. That That means a lot. And uh, in closing again, uh, 
not all conversations are comfortable and not, <laughs> but uh, I mean, and frankly, most productive conversations are uncomfortable. And uh, I have to 100% echo your sentiments. This industry has definitely improved my life. Um, it, you I mean, again, just for Nevada statistics, we pay um, at a very, very high rate. Um, and that allows people to be able to provide for their families and to invest money into their communities. And it also helps the state because it reduces reliance on um, the social safety net. Um, and because of that, the communities where mining operates, we are a net exporter of taxes, meaning we send tax revenue to other communities because um, of what mining operations are doing. And so um, I, I have to 100% agree with you that this is a great industry. It is an industry that is constantly innovating and constantly improving. And I look for us to, and I look forward to seeing this industry do the same when it comes to some of the systematic barriers um, that have existed in the U.S. Um, and to be part of the conversation for overcoming and eliminating those barriers so that all people can have full participation within the United States economy. Terry, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, sir. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. And uh, I look forward to having a conversation with you again down the road. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Book it. <laughs> all right.